Welcome to the podcast of Euless First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening. We would love to have you worship with us in person. These messages come from our worship services, Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11. We worship at 106 North Main Street in Euless, between Airport Freeway and Highway 10. May you feel the presence of God, and may God bless you as you listen. In, in case we missed this before, I'm still Steve Hyduke, one of the pastors here. Now, for guests and visitors, it struck me today, I don't know why I never thought of this before, that we really give you mixed messages, don't we? Because church in general um, tells people, some people say this explicitly every time they go to lead a prayer, they say, please bow your heads and close your eyes, like it's categorically not a prayer if you don't bow your head and close your eyes. So we invite you to pray, to bow your heads and close your eyes, and then we project the words of the Lord's Prayer up on a screen. What's up with that? We should hand out mirrors so you could like cleverly hold one in your lap and look at the screen and keep your head down. Because you know there's going to be some church members that have their heads up, seeing who it is, doesn't bow their head when it's time for the prayer. I would do that, but I sit on the front row and it really doesn't do me any good. Okay, there's my announcements. Please pray with me. Head bowed or not, it doesn't matter. God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight because you and you only, God, are our strength and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I love hearing the sounds of kids. Isn't it great? So um, I started pondering, especially this Jeremiah reading several weeks ago, which, you know, starts... Watch out, you shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is what the Lord God of Israel proclaims about the shepherds who tend to my people. And it goes on with all this flocky, shepherdy language, which made me wonder, have you ever shepherded a flock? Outside of petting zoos, have you ever been in proximity to a sheep? Most of us have not. So what are we supposed to do with all the shepherding imagery and language and metaphor in the scriptures? You want to get somebody to rewrite it for, uh, I don't know, suburban megalopolis culture? Should we all go tend sheep for a year and then we'd understand these scriptures better? As I was pondering that, I had this really interesting experience. I looked out the back window of my house, and I didn't see sheep. I know that I might have been leading you to think that. I looked out the back window of my house and saw this. It's my backyard. That is indeed my backyard. Now, not only can you see part of my backyard. You can see my back door to the east neighbor has let like two-thirds of their fence fall down. They let it fall down. There's like a four-foot retaining wall there. They fell into Miss Margaret's yard, and they just left it. And they did this like three years. Well, they did. That makes it sound active. They let it fall three or four years ago, and it's, it's, it's still like that. But that's not why I showed you the picture. The reason I showed you the picture is because as I looked out my back window and noticed that fence, I realized 
I'm really kind of the only one in the family that can see that because the next tallest person in my house looks out the same window and sees this. Now, they can see the fire pit better than I do, apparently. <laughs> but you can hardly make out that that fence over there is fallen down. And I've looked out my back window a lot of times. But as I was thinking about all this shepherd language in the Jeremiah 32, 23 passage, and I looked out and saw what I saw, I realized, well, I, I and we can't really see these scriptures the way those people for whom Jeremiah originally wrote them saw them because we see them from a different place. We have a different perspective than they do, so maybe we owe it to them to, to, to try to understand their perspective, which again could lead us into calling shepherds are us and saying, hey, could you set me up with a small flock for a year so I can understand parts of the Bible better? Except there wasn't shepherds are us during the Bible days, so I don't know how that would help. So then, just to continue this brain game going, because I love brain games, especially if they start in my own brain, um, I went out and looked I stood closer to the fence because I was mesmerized with the idea that I saw things differently than my wife and kids do. And so standing right next to this six-foot-tall fence, I can still kind of see over it. But you know what my kids would see from that very same point looking in the very same direction? They would see fence. Just fence. Just our fence. So this also got me thinking, as far as all the different perspectives that we have in our world, that um, if you step back from something, it's easier to see at least what a different perspective might be. But it just got my mind blowing. It, it, got, it got me thinking, you know, I'm the only one in the family that can see what's on top of our refrigerator. And what a glorious benefit that is to me. It means if somebody needs something from the top of the fridge, they call me, which is fine. But it also means, it, it just, this, thinking about all the different perspectives in the world got me thinking back to when we were um, child-proofing our house. You might have been through this for kids or grandkids. So to do this, of course you put something in all of the outlets so that the kids don't put forks or screwdrivers in the outlets. And you get down on your hands and knees to try to see things from their perspective. To see where the problems might be. But even there, you adult and youth-aged people, you're still not exactly getting a toddler perspective unless when you look at any piece of furniture, it looks like something that must be climbed and you don't. And then once I got started thinking about all these different perspective things, I, I, I couldn't stop. And I remembered back to um, this, uh, I, I was in a, a week of, of training sessions to become, to become a clergy coach. To do that, you have to be able to say clergy coach three times. Um, you're in. And one of the mornings of this training, we, we sat in a circle, there were about 15 of us. Um, that's, that's seven guys, about eight women. And, uh, and we did one of these warm-up icebreaker groups. We were getting training on how to coach, coach a 
a group of people. Yeah, and you, you've been through these kinds of things before. So the person that started um, um, held a small ball and said his name and like his favorite, I don't know, vegetable maybe, and then threw the ball to somebody else. And then that person said his name and his favorite vegetable. And then he threw the ball to somebody else and he said his name and favorite vegetable. And then he threw the ball to me. And before I could say my name or my favorite vegetable, which was good because I hadn't thought of what it would be, because um, it'd be a lie. Um, there's no such thing as a favorite vegetable. Before I could say that, though, one of the women in the group pointed out that this random example group of 15 people, of which seven were men, eight were women, and three were people of color, everyone who had touched a ball so far had been a white guy which is really kind of interesting. Now, let me tell you, she did not say this critically or like she as a woman felt left out because we had kept the ball from her. But it was interesting to hear that a woman saw that what was going on from a different perspective perhaps than all us white guys did. And I'm not saying that one perspective is right or wrong. I'm saying we all have different perspectives, but I hope this is true for you, that once you find or hear or see something from some different perspective than your own, you cannot go back to just having your own perspective. Now, you still have your perspective. But the advantage of really, truly recognizing that there are different perspectives among us is that no one of us has God's perspective. You're aware of that right? God has at least all of our perspectives and others. So what you think is God's perspective and what I think is God's perspective may not be exactly the same and neither one of us owns it, but from these examples we can see that this whole perspective thing's can, can make life really interesting if we will get off the need of thinking that everybody sees something or understands something exactly the same way we do or they're wrong or they're off or they're misguided or they're blind. Now, one final example before we get back to Jeremiah and Luke. I walked in to the office Monday morning. I'm, I'm usually the first one here on Monday morning. I am always the first one who is so addicted to coffee as I am here in, on Monday morning. So, I put my stuff down at my desk and walked through the office and went back into the swore parlor, at which point I saw this. Yes, you saw coffee. So are you a coffee drinker too? Awesome. And I mentioned coffee, right? So, so I kind of led you to that. So your perspective was, oh, he's going to say something about coffee. I better watch for the coffee. Okay. This is what I saw for a split second because right after that, this was all I could see. And you might not have even seen the Oreo package on that counter, did you? Could you see the Oreo package? It was there. And the way my perspective works is for some reason, within a split second, that was all I could see. Even though I had that image in coffee, right? And sun coming in the window and all kinds of things. And please remove the Oreos before I get hungry. Um, thank you. So what does that have to do with perspective? 
Obviously, we don't live in a shepherd culture. So the shepherd and the sheep, is, it, it, it's, it's not utterly foreign to us because we can understand that, that, that God is our, that the Lord is our shepherd, right? And if, if God is our shepherd, that we don't have any other need because God supplies all of our needs. Um, it, it, and we understand that we can't understand the depth and richness of what Jeremiah is doing here without being in shepherd culture. But there's something else perspective-wise that's going on here that I want to share with you, and that, that's that Jeremiah is telling these people who are in the midst of really dark times. Okay, the, these are God's people, the people of Israel, and, and they have at this point either been taken from their promised land and held in Babylon, or things are so bad that they're about to be ripped from their promised land. And they've heard these stories about how wonderful things used to be. You've heard stories like that. Because for some people, the past was always better than the present, even when they were there. And I don't know how that works. So Jeremiah talks about the past and even about the present, but what Jeremiah gives them a different perspective of is that God will come, that God will give them good shepherds, that they will no longer be afraid or dread harm, that there won't be any of them missing, that he will raise up a righteous branch, he will rule as a wise king. And Jeremiah tells all these things to these people, and he doesn't guarantee it's going to happen in their lifetime. It's not a promise, okay, if you can just make it to Wednesday, then Thursday is feast day. It's a perspective of you can't rely on circumstances, but you can rely on God. And so whether you're somebody who always thinks the past was better than the present, or whether you're somebody that always thinks the present's as good as it's going to get, or whether you're somebody who thinks the past and the present are just horrible, and someday God will come and make everything awesome, I think Jeremiah's promise is the perspective of live now, knowing that this God in whom you hope and dream for a future is here and faithful now. And I think that's exactly the same thing that... Zechariah is talking about in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah is prophesying. And I want you to notice that in the Bible, prophesying does not mean predicting the future. Prophesying means proclaiming God's word to people for whom it is God's word. And a little bit of backstory for Zechariah. Zechariah is, uh, has just become the father of John the Baptist. He's a priest, and he's married to Elizabeth, who has just become the mother of John the Baptist, and they were old, Luke tells us, and way beyond any expectation of having kids, but an angel appeared and told them, well, you're going to have a child. Not only are you going to have a child, but your child is going to be the one who, as the Hebrew Bible promises, prepares the way for the Messiah. And uh, Zechariah didn't believe it, and so the angel said, okay, you don't have any voice until the baby's born. That'll show you how good God is. And so he goes on with his life and his duties um, silent. And when it's time, the baby's born and he still can't talk. And they say, what are we going to name this baby? And the angel had told Zechariah, name him John. And John, um, Zechariah writes out, name him John and shows it. And this, they, they all think he's crazy because John's not a name in his family. But they named the boy John and suddenly John, Zechariah can speak. And he gives this prophecy. 
And it's a prophecy that helps God's people see exactly the same thing that Jeremiah was trying to do, to set them in the context of God has always been faithful and times have been really hard and sometimes have been horrible and, and sometimes it feels like the darkness is going to overtake you, but God is faithful no matter what. What we need to know in this week that we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving, and we want to make sure Thanksgiving is about neither gluttony nor Black Friday, is we need to remember and give thanks that God is faithful. Whether or not life looks and feels great right now, God is faithful. And sometimes it's hard to remember that. Sometimes between now and Thursday, and maybe even on Thursday, when somebody in your family decides that the best thing to talk about at Thanksgiving dinner is impeachment, now is the time to remember to be thankful that God is faithful. I get a reminder of that this morning at the start of the 8.30 service. Because I, can, I, can I confess to you all, you're at the 11 o'clock service. You can handle this. You know how it is. At 8.30... I don't always feel vibrant and full of the Spirit of God ready to worship. Sometimes I feel like it's 8.30 on Sunday morning. So I was already sitting down. I think Rachel was already in her announcements. And this four-year-old girl walks in, and she's, um, she's not quite toddling anymore. You know how that is. And she gets about here, and she sees somebody in the congregation whose face she recognizes. And I was watching the four-year-old's face, and it just lit up. And her smile went this big. And her eyes, in, in a healthy way, like popped out of her head, and she had to go see this person. And I thought, man, that four-year-old is ready to experience God's presence here and actually expects to. And I don't know if the four-year-old puts those kinds of words into it, but she was excited to be here for worship. And it made me think, man, God is faithful. May I be that excited to be here for worship? Because whatever perspective you bring, I'm not saying that's a bad perspective, but sometimes you need to hear a different perspective or feel a different perspective or see a different perspective. And sometime this week, you'll have the opportunity to remember and remind yourself, breathe deep, God is faithful, I need to remember that perspective. And sometime this week, you'll probably have the opportunity to share that with somebody else. The perspective that God is faithful faithful. Please pray with me. God, we've got them all trained. You say, please pray with me, and everybody's head bows. It's phenomenal. We give you thanks this morning, God, for your faithfulness, that for generations before us, for our times and for generations after us, you are and were and will be faithful. So God, for whatever variety of things and challenges and problems and difficulties and anxieties and anticipations we bring to this day, help us all to gain a perspective that you are faithful. You have not, and you will not abandon us. For that we are grateful, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right, the ushers are come forward to receive, coming 